Good morning. Maybe you're thinking, I didn't know Morgan was preaching again this morning. Well, Morgan didn't either. <laughs> kind of kidding, but seriously, Marshall is not really feeling well and doesn't have a voice and um, kind of need one of those to, to preach. So, but um, let's go to prayer, praying for him and everyone who is sick and maybe not here because of that, and praying that God would help us hear his word and be doers of it. So, with humble hearts, let's pray. Father, help us be wise. Jesus, give us eyes to see who you really are. And give us ears to hear your words. And Spirit, give us the strength to obey whatever you command. God, it's in you that we hope and have faith. So help us love you. And we pray this knowing that you are faithful to do it. Amen. In about a month from now, we'll be seeing all types of Christmas stuff. There'll be decorations, people vying for you to spend all types of money on little trinkets and maybe nice gifts, music, movies, the whole, the whole thing. It'll, it'll be here in about a month. And maybe even within like, especially Christian kind of circles, we, uh, we sometimes see, a part of all the Christmas decorations, we see a nativity scene. Or maybe you'll go to a, a, a play, a Christmas play. It'd be awesome if we did a Christmas play here, like who would play each part. Um, Marshall said one time Mabel should play King Herod. That'd be great. Um, but... One of the more important parts of the nativity scene that we often, they're kind of left out, maybe to the side, are the wise men. And there's always three of them, you know, because the text says three. Actually, it doesn't really tell us. I don't know. We're always just thinking it's three because there was three gifts mentioned. But the wise men, they're in every nativity scene. But we don't know a lot about them. Why are they wise? I think that's a good question. Why are the wise men wise because they're rich and they give Jesus gold and frankincense and myrrh because we know what those are are they wise because they're from the east and they're just mysteriously coming on camels to visit Jesus is it just because we don't know a lot about them kind of like Yoda they say profound things that are yet somewhat confusing why are the wise men wise well they're wise because they see Jesus for who he is. And they do something about it. They believe that God's promises for all people are coming into fulfillment with the person of Jesus. And they not only hear this and believe this, but they, but they do something about it. They go and visit Jesus and lavish him, showing he is the real king, the true king, who has come from God to bring the kingdom of heaven. And that's why they're wise. 
They see Jesus for who he really is. So this not only speaks, tells us something about the nativity scene. We can not only go to Christmas plays and nativity scenes and be like, yeah, I know why those guys are wives now. But it tells us something about life. What does it mean to be wise in this life? Sometimes we speak about life as if getting older and becoming elderly is much like becoming a child again. The old and elderly have much of the same dependence that a young child does. As much as this metaphor holds true, we only get one life and we can't go back. You never really go back to being a child. You only go in one direction and you can't stop your life. You can't manage time. You can't slow it down. You can't go back. So it's important for us to think about what does it mean to live the true life? Is there a true way to live? Is there a good way to live? And what does it mean? In other words, what does it mean to be wise? What ought we to give ourselves over to? What are our daily decisions supposed to be centered on and oriented towards? What is this life about? And ultimately, what does it mean to live the wise life? Well, when it comes to Jesus, and according to Jesus, there are only two ways to live. Two ways to live when it comes to Jesus. But here's the thing. We only have this one life. We don't get to spend one life on one option, and no, that didn't work, and do it on another. We only have one life to live. It's not that there are no chances and you can't switch halfway through, but we only have this life and we're moving closer to death every day. We're living towards death. So it's important to ask, how are we going to live now? And Jesus says there's only two ways. There's the wise and the foolish way when it comes to him. So in today's text, we will see what it means to be wise is to see Jesus for who he really is and to trust him, and to love him, and to live a life that bases your life on who he is and what he's done. True wisdom sees Jesus's, or hears Jesus's words, and does them. We are in the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon ever preached. And the text specifically is Matthew 7, verses 13 through 29. Gospel of Matthew, I'll give you a minute to turn there. First book in the New Testament, the first gospel. Chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. I preached last week on the section before this, where Jesus is teaching that we ought to treat others as God has treated us. He sums up all the Sermon on the Mount. In one sense, he sums up all the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, and he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. But he shows that we shouldn't judge others unfairly. We should take the speck out of our eye first before we take the log out of their eye. And, but we should also be discerning. We shouldn't be foolish in doing this. And then we should ask and seek and knock because God is a good father who gives good gifts. Because God has given 
freely to us and given us good gifts when we ask, we ought to treat others the way we want to be treated. We all want God to give us gifts. And Jesus is saying, yeah, treat others the way you want to be treated. So now he goes on to essentially conclude the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this is the last passage of um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And here we learn that true wisdom hears God's word and does it. I'll read Matthew 7, verses 13 through 29. Hear the word of the Lord. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, the concluding message of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us that true wisdom is hearing his words and doing them. True wisdom sees Jesus for who he really is and lives a life that responds to who he is. Jesus in this section separates the wise from the foolish. He is constantly making this only two ways to live. And in this section, he gives kind of three warnings. In the beginning of the sermon, we have the Beatitudes, and this is the message about true flourishing, true happiness. Blessed are those, is essentially happy are those. And then at the end, he kind of gives warnings that separate. He gives three different warnings with two options in each of them. He says there are two ways. There are two different kinds of fruits. And then he ends it with there are two different kinds of builders. Three warnings with two ways to live in each of them. He starts out by saying, enter by the narrow gate. 
He commands us to enter the narrow gate. Why? Well, he gives two reasons. One is the negative reason. You should enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And you should enter through the narrow gate. Why? Because the narrow way leads to life. The narrow and hard way is that that leads to life and few find it. We should enter through the narrow way because it is not the way to destruction. Jesus is telling us, do you want eternal happiness and eternal life or eternal destruction and eternal sadness? Well, here's how to find it. It's found in me. It's found in trusting me and hearing my words and doing them, being a follower of me. Because I've come to you and loved you, you love me by obeying my commands. Friends, the God of Christianity is the only place to have spiritual life. This is both good news and bad news, depending on how you hear this. This is good news because God has given us a way. We could complain, well, why has God given us multiple ways? Friends, we should be thankful that God even gave us one in Jesus Christ. And this way of following Jesus leads to life. Either Jesus is lying here and all who believe him are are fools that believe this crazy man or he's telling the truth. Friends, what we do with our life matters. What we do in this life matters for the next life in one sense. It matters, it determines one sense if we will enter into eternal life or destruction. The way following Jesus leads to true life, but any other way apart from him leads to destruction. And this is not just doing better. This is not just being nicer or being more more. You can try harder. You can grit your teeth and work harder as a person and try to be more virtuous and ethical and moralistic. You can do those things and still not have Jesus. Friends, the whole sermon and the whole Gospel of Matthew, and the whole New Testament, and the whole Bible is getting at God's invitation and command for us to live in his world and his way. And this way leads to true life. Jesus says it here. This, this is a beckoning call for us to have happiness and have life and have true flourishing because this is the way God has designed the world. Moralistic rules alone do not lead to eternal life. Following Jesus leads to eternal life. Putting faith, hope, and love in what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what leads to eternal life. That should play itself out in a life that obeys him and is nice and accords with his ethics. But it's not based on what we do. You first have to see who Jesus is and then live a life that accords with that. You can live a life that's nice and still miss Jesus. Jesus is calling people to see him and to follow him down this narrow way. And then Jesus goes on from the two ways, the narrow and wide way, and he goes on to two different kinds of fruits. Sometimes we divide this section up. I think it's best verses 15 through 23, including like the ones who never knew him who say, Lord, Lord. I think he's talking about 
two kinds of fruits, good and bad. Those who are true followers and false followers. Good fruit, bad fruit. Jesus knows that there will be people who do not tell the truth about him. He calls these false prophets. What they say, what they prophesy, what they proclaim is false. They do not proclaim the truth. They may look good, sound good, and even make you feel good. But they are false. And this is not just a matter of true and false. But friends, this is, this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal destinations. This is a matter of where we are going to spend eternity. Are we going to believe Jesus? Or are we going to believe other people? Are we going to believe the words that Jesus says? Or are we going to believe false prophets? But Jesus is warning us, beware of them. They might look nice on the outside. They come in sheep's clothing, but in the inside they are ravenous wolves. What do ravenous wolves do? They destroy. Lies about God are not just things to be trifled with. It is a serious thing that leads to destruction. Jesus taught that we are not to unfairly judge others. Take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of the others. But he also said, don't throw your pearls before pigs. Be discerning. Know who you're dealing with. Don't condemn others in an unfairly way. Judge yourself first, but also be discerning. Theology matters because it helps us stay on this narrow path that is hard. Biblical doctrine is important because it leads to life, and truth is necessary because it leads to salvation. At the same time, friends, we cannot become those who have big theological heads without transformed Christ-like hearts. He says, do not grapes come from thorn bushes? He's asking kind of an absurd question. Do grapes come from something that produces thorns? No, grapes come from a vine. Or do thorns come from a vine, a grapevine? No. And he says, this is how you're going to know these false prophets. You will know them by their fruits. It's kind of confusing because it's like they come in sheep's clothing, but inside they're wolves. So it's like, how do we know? Because they're wearing sheep's clothing. But he says, eventually this will play itself out. Ultimately, there will be some kind of fruit, and that'll either be the true and good fruit of having a life that's been transformed by the gospel of Christ, that plays itself out in good ways, or there will be the fruit that is bad. And its root, its tree, is, is not the gospel. You will know them by their fruit. Two kinds of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit, or, or evil fruit. You've heard the saying, the proof is in the pudding. Not sure where that came from. <laughs> but we all know what it means, right? The proof is in the pudding. And I think that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. These people might sound good and they come to you and they do amazing things. You look later, they, they're saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? We cast out demons. We, did, we prophesied in your name and we did mighty works in your name. How are you going to cast this out? I think this is more not like them being shocked, like, Oh, what happened, Jesus? We did all these great things for you. It's more like, Jesus, I, I, I belong. 
in your kingdom because I did all these things. But here's the thing, they're false teachers. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You got to back up a few steps because you have a heart that's not been transformed by the gospel. You did all these things that were showy and looked good, but on the inside, you didn't know me. Friends, being a Christian is not just doing things. Again, so there's this balance. We have to hear this word and do this word, but it's not just actions. This whole sermon has been about you can do the right thing on the outside. You can have this squeakily clean life. But Jesus calls those people hypocrites. And later in Matthew 23, he will strongly condemn the hypocrites and and use a, a powerful metaphor saying hypocrites are whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed tomb. What is a tomb? Well, Jesus goes on to say in that verse that a tomb, there's nothing but death inside. You're whitewashed. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you don't have life. There's nothing but death. That's because you don't know Jesus. And Jesus is warning us to watch out for these people who claim to speak truth about Jesus. Who we listen to matters. Who we believe matters. Who we really follow at the end of the day matters. Whether this is ourselves, doing what we want to do, or whether this is culture, or someone in our family, or another explicit religion. I think a lot of times the most dangerous religions are those that don't call themselves religions, such as consumerism. Something that's hiding itself from coming out and being explicitly against Jesus. Friends, we should watch out for these things. If someone really has the gospel, you will see it in their fruit. So Christian, is there fruit in your life? This is not meant to load you down with guilt or sorrow, but this is, this is a means to help us grow. How can you be growing because of the great news of Jesus? Friends, we ought to be helping each other stay on the narrow path. We ought to be helping each other produce this good fruit, which in some sense, should naturally come about. Well, we also have to help each other and seek God to, to help it produce. So Jesus says to these false teachers, no, you have it all wrong. You have to have a new heart. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who enters is the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is the will of the Father in heaven? I think Jesus has been communicating this the entire Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in 5.17, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I'm not getting rid of the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill them. Everything God has been doing is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God's will is for not us to just look at the law. We miss Jesus Christ, and we missed what God is actually trying to get us. So doing the will of the Father involves Seeing Jesus, seeing him for who he really is, not just Jesus with no meaning attached, but the biblical Jesus. The Jesus that has come to redeem people and restore us back to what we were intended for and to make us right with God, to die a sacrificial death that we couldn't die. Even in the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is told that he will save his people from their sins. 
The will of the Father is to send Jesus to die so that there will be no longer any condemnation for those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. This is the will of the Father. And it involves us living a life that reflects that. So he's giving warnings. He says there's two ways. There's the narrow way and the broad way. The narrow way leads to life. It might be hard, but at the end of the day, it leads to life. Or you can do the easy way. It may be easy now, but it leads to destruction. It's kind of absurd when we think about it. Friends, we all want life, and we all want what is truly good. And Jesus is coming to us saying, this is this, the true good, the true life is in me, not in anything else. And then he gets to the two different types of fruit. We have to be made new. We have to be transformed. We can't just try to produce this fruit, but we have to seek Jesus. There's two different types of fruit. And then finally, two kinds of builders. Two kinds of builders, wise and foolish builders. I'll just read this again because this is a a, a very powerful and helpful uh, parable-like teaching by Jesus here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The wise person hears Jesus' words and bases their life on him. The foolish person hears Jesus' words and does not base their life on him. The wise see Jesus for who he is, that he is the Savior and Lord. The foolish person hears that, but doesn't do anything about it. I once had a friend who said, Jesus raises the stakes. It's not just that Jesus is some good teacher or even telling us some truths about God, but Jesus raises the stakes. This is eternal happiness or eternal destruction. Eternal life after we die is found in seeing and savoring Christ now. The way to eternal happiness forever with God is by having your happiness in God in this life. What we do with our lives matters. Friends, the gospel of God and Jesus Christ is the good news that he has done everything required to save you and to bring you to him. God making you a new creation is not because you did anything great. God justifying us is not because we did anything worthy of being righteous. In fact, it's God's gift of Jesus to us, God's grace in Jesus to us is is despite what we've done and despite who we've been and despite what we've loved and given ourselves over to. And even despite how we would live after receiving that. We are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And friends, this does not mean that we sit back and lazily look at Jesus. We do not just hear 
this word, but we have ears to hear, ears to hear and eyes to see. And this produces a life that follows Jesus. A saving faith is only a saving faith if it hears and obeys. James makes this case in his letters. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because hearers only deceive themselves. You're hearing this thing, and you think you're maybe doing it, but you're, you're deceiving yourselves. You're lying to yourself. So Jesus is saying the same thing here. The, the wise one is who, him who sees Jesus. This is a Christ-centered wisdom that does not listen to our own words, culture's words, or any other kind of teacher. But this is a Christ-centered wisdom which looks to Jesus Christ and says, Jesus is the one I trust. Jesus is the one that knows me and loves me and has given himself for me. And I have died in his death and I have been resurrected in his resurrection. And I now live a new life. I have heard the word of the gospel. I have trusted and loved and believed and seen and beheld and saviored this word of the gospel. And true savoring lives itself out in life. If I said to Leah, hey, I love you, but I didn't do anything about it, she might begin to question rightly so if I really loved her. True love and true belief and true savoring plays itself out in a life. And not only is this just like, hey, do this because this is true. But friends, because it's true, Jesus says it leads to life. God's commands in the gospel are not just for God's glory. They are ultimately for God's glory. But friends, they're also for our good. This is a good thing. This is not just some curmudgeon type life we live. Like, I know I'm supposed to believe the gospel. I'm just going to grit my teeth and do it because I know it's right. It is right. But it's also this joyful, full, abundant life. Because eternal life doesn't just start when we die. Eternal life happens even now. Jesus came that we may have life. So friends, let us not just be hearers of the word. We should find avenues to hear the word. We should be singing the word, praying the word, listening to the word, reading the word, studying the word with others. We should find avenues to hear the word. But the question is not, do you hear the word? The question is, do you hear it and what do you do with it? Friends, let's savor God's word. So he calls us not to have a superficial religion that looks good on the outside, but it's just death on the inside. Jesus calls us to have a robust faith that loves him internally with our hearts and it produces a life and in light of that inner righteousness. The life of wisdom hears and practices these words. That's essentially what wisdom means. Practices. Habitual gets good at. The wise builder makes his house on the rock. It's a somewhat absurd story. <laughs> it's like if you know a flood's coming, you're not going to build your house on the sand. That's, that's foolishness. That's ridiculous. But sometimes we are so distracted in life that we don't think about the things that really matter. We are so distracted by work and social media, 
and all these things going on that we get so busy, we fail to really think about what it means to be wise and foolish. It, we take, it takes absurd stories like this to kind of shock us for how we're really living. Or it takes the absurdity of life just today, within the last three hours, I've heard of a new birth and a death. Friends, you can't go backwards. We are all living towards death, and we don't know when that will happen. And what does it mean to be wise in the short time that we're here on this life? Does it mean just coming to church? Playing the church game, saying I'm a Christian. Jesus' words here are both challenging and comforting. So we should take them as a challenge and be warned, but we should also remember that Jesus has done everything we need to be saved. And so because of that, we live our lives in gratitude. We live our lives hoping Live our lives in faith. and Live our lives loving him. So being born and dying, it does, it does, it, question, it makes us question. What is life about? Where is true wisdom? How do you know how to live and how to spend this life? What do we give ourselves over to? And it gets us to ask, where can true lasting life be found? Where can true lasting life be found? Friends, hear the comforting and true words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. God, give us ears to hear your word. And even if we are Christians, God, we need to constantly have our ears open to hear your word and, and spirit enable us, strengthen us when we don't feel like obeying this word. We often don't feel like desiring God and doing what he commands. But spirit, I pray that you would change us, use others in this congregation, even in this very room, to encourage others to follow you, to be with others in the happy times and in the sad times, to look to you, to Help each other fix our eyes on you. God, we need your help to hear this word and to do it. Because without your help, we are helpless. So we look to you. Our Father in heaven, may your name be treated as holy. We pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need for today. And forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Amen.